Hello, everybody. Hi. And welcome to a, another episode of Shared Pages with me, Ronnie. And I'm Ian. And uh, we are here after, I'm sure everybody can agree, a very exhausting November. I feel exhausted. That was a lot. Um, but the November book, Spinning Silver by Naomi... Naomi? Naomi Novak. Naomi Novak, yeah. yeah. And uh, I, for one, have to say, uh, spoiler alert, I really loved this one a lot. It's going to get a high rating for me. Yeah. I don't know about Ian. I know Ian already put a rating on Twitter, but uh, we'll we'll see as we go on. On my personal Twitter, not on On the personal Twitter, obviously, because we have to share. We'd have to share both of ours. Yeah. If it was on the the podcast Twitter, um. But yeah, I really like this one a lot. So, um, let's go ahead and well, let's just say, um, before we start, out of the four books we've read already. Where'd you put this one place-wise? First place, second, third, fourth? Third. Interesting. This is a first placer for me yeah. right now. So, all right, let's go ahead. Um, One thing <laughs> I think we should get better at doing before we start talking about the book is just doing, like, a really brief synopsis of the plot. A lot of times we just jump into the discussion, but we haven't been, like, you know... If you want to attempt that... Okay. I'm, I mean, I'm, this is a I lot. Think this you're making it lot. harder than you think it needs to be. Okay, okay, go for it. So go there's for it. essentially three main characters. There's Wanda, yes. Miram, and what's your name? Irina. Irina. I keep wanting to say Vasilisa, but it's no, not Vasilisa. No. Irina. And they all live in a fictional kingdom called Vals or something like that. Um, anyways, they live in a fictional kingdom. I didn't kingdom. write, see, this is why I didn't, I didn't write any of this down. They all so. live in a fictional kingdom based off of Russia, essentially. Um, and this is part of the reason I find this book very weird, is that it is a fictional kingdom with lots of references to real-life things and folklore. But anyways... Miram is the daughter of a moneylender who is not a very good moneylender because he never gets the money back. He's more of a money giver. Uh, what is Lithvis. Lithvis. That's the name of the kingdom. Sorry. Yeah. I was like, I had to look it up because I was like, I know the name of it, but I can't remember. Okay. Yeah. Miram is the daughter of a moneylender who never gets any money back. Uh, Wanda is the daughter of a person who lives in the same town as Miram and has an abusive father and two younger brothers and a dead mom. Boo, sad story. Wah, wah, wah. Oh my god. Um, I said there's a lot. I'm just, I'm just getting the general gist of the story out there. And whatever that other girl's name is, Irina is the daughter of a baron? A duke. Duke. A duke. And, you know... She is not a comely lass by court standards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, she actually refers to herself as ugly a lot, but I have a feeling she's not actually she's just, she's like a standard ugly. Being. She's not. She's just not like beautiful. Yeah, like she just looks. And they also reference that she has a big nose a lot, which mm-hmm. I'm like represent for the big nose ladies <laughs> over here because I feel noses. that. I feel that. I feel that a lot. Uh, so, but Miram uh, boasts that she can turn silver into gold. Because she takes over her father's money-lending business and finally starts making the family money. And a fake called a Sarek or a Starry? Stark is how I was Stark. pronouncing oh, it. I don't know. But yeah, here's her and is like, well, if you can turn these silver coins I'm going to give you into 
gold three times, I'll marry you. Um, really shot himself in the foot yeah. on that one. I don't know what he was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> um, Wanda uh, is working for Miram after a while to get to essentially pay off the debt her father owes, but also to get away from her father. Um, and Irina is the Duke Duke's daughter marries the czar of this fictional country. Um, and that's more or less the general plot, but we're getting deeper as we go along. Hello? So I'm just making sure that he was, in fact, a duke. Oh. I'm Whatever. sorry. I, he is a duke. No, I told you he was a duke. I want to yeah. make sure I was right. Because um, you kept saying Baron, and I was like, was he a Baron? No, he was a duke. Um, uh, uh, yeah. I think um, Wanda, her it's interesting because her role in the book is so passive, and who she is is so, like... She's a very quiet character, but she's, like, very strong, and I, I feel like she... At, like, at times, I struggled to see her role in it, but also, like, without her being there, I don't think that what they did together would have been honestly, possible. Like, by the end of the book, she was the only character I cared about. Really? Yeah. I thought Irina and, Wa- er, and Miram at the end, I was like, shut up. <laughs> and why? What about it? They were just, like... You know, they worked together to essentially, and we'll get deeper in this, kill two demons. Mm-hmm. And then they just kept undermining each other and setting these demons free. And I was like, this book could have ended a hundred pages ago. Well, okay, I did you, like, miss the complexity of the characters or something? No, they like, were complex, yeah. but they, they worked together. They made a plan together, and then they just stopped talking for a hundred pages. And we're like... We're gonna fuck everything well, up. I mean, they did. They did keep talking to each other. Like Miriam went and talked to Irina and was like, "Hey, I know I helped you catch the Stark King to feed the fire demon that was inside of the Czar, but like, I don't think it's right because now the whole Stark Kingdom is gonna die." And Irina's like, "I get it, but also if we don't keep him trapped, our kingdom is gonna suffer." Yeah. So like, who's gonna win? And then so they were like, "Okay." So talking to each other isn't going to work anymore, so now we just got to do our own plans and hope for the best. Yeah, but I don't feel like Miram owed the Stark King anything. And then this is... She wasn't doing it for the king. Yeah. She She was was doing doing it for the people. people. But I don't feel like she owed them anything either, because she was like, I named you. And then they were like, oh, now we're friends. But for the first 400 pages, we didn't say a word to you. They only talked for like eight pages total. Interesting. So this is... Part of the reason, like, going back to the beginning, where we usually talk about the opening lines, I thought they did a really good job mm-hmm. of introducing the story. Um, it's, like, really beautifully written in this fairy tale voice. And then they completely throw that away. And she goes into this Tolkien-esque world-building voice. Mm-hmm. And it is not consistent, and it kind of phases from fairy tale to, like, long-winded Tolkien narration, exposition, back to fairy tale voice. And it feels very disjointed. Interesting. I didn't really feel that way at all. Like, I felt like the prose of the writing was very beautiful. And, like, even though there were some parts where she was describing things for an extended period of time, I thought it was so well written that I didn't even really mind. I was like, oh, yeah, I, like, love 
learning a little bit of the Stark Kingdom, you know, and, like, the descriptions of, like, the trees that they have there and just how different it is from our world or her world, you know, the normal world. And um, I felt like it helped add to, to Miriam, even though she didn't understand the Stark Kingdom that much, you could tell that she was kind of fascinated by it a little bit through those descriptions and stuff like that, you know? Yeah, and I think... Novik does both of those voices well, but choose one. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I don't think I saw the... I don't think I felt that if, same way that you did. And, like, so. I think in a lot of storytelling, interesting things happen where friction happens, like when you try to combine two unlike things. Mm-hmm. But this didn't feel like a melding of two things. It felt like trying to fit two puzzle pieces together that don't fit until you break the piece off. Hmm. Um, but it was like, like, cause I like the characters and I like the story, but I just felt very jarred by the story a lot of times. So I guess before we get too far into other stuff, I guess we can talk a little bit about each of the main protagonists. They would each be protagonists, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, so first we have Miriam Man- Mandelstadt? I think is her name. Um, she's Jewish. Uh, she's a Jewish character. And Mandelstam. And she is the, the daughter of a moneylender. And she definitely talks multiple times how she has, like, made herself cold. Which I think cold and heat are th- themes that come up very often in this book because it's, I mean, kind of the central theme and especially the magical Stark Ice Kingdom and all of that. Um, but I I don't know. I really, I know that you don't agree with me, but I really liked Miriam and I thought even though she kind of like had to make, her, make herself cold in order to like become the money lender for her family and kind of take over the family business, um, she was just doing like the best in the situation that she had kind of been born into thing. And I didn't think she ever did anything that was, like, unnecessary. You know, she also always was doing what was, like, the best thing to do at the time. Um, And I really liked the plot twist in when she's in the Star Kingdom and you find out that essentially gifts that you've been proven to have in the real world, so in her case, changing silver to gold, which she did through, like, trading and, like, collecting debts and then she would like go to the bank and she would transfer the silver for the gold and that was how she made her money um when you go to like the fae kingdom that translates to a real ability so she can obviously just turn actual silver into gold with her touch and i thought the plot twist was really interesting in the book when you found out that the way she was doing that was essentially capturing sunlight from the real world and transferring that into the coins to make them gold. And that essentially meant that she was bringing the winter in the real world, which she thought the Star King was doing for most of the book. Um, and as far as her character for the ending, I really liked how her story ended, where the Stark King, like, he, he kind of, like, came in and, like, kind of took advantage of her because of her talents. But then she, like, consistently proved him wrong for doing that. 
And he was finally, uh, you know, the rule of three, I guess, for magical beings applies. He, she did it three times. She, like, proved him wrong. And he was like, well, you did You prove me wrong three times. I'm not going to be a fool again. I will, like, appreciate you, you know? And um, essentially it ends with him actually proposing marriage to her. And um, I really liked the last line of the book. I don't know. Like, I was getting to the end and I was like... I wanted more of Irina and the Tsar, honestly, just because I wanted, like, a fiery romance for that one, I think. <laughs> then I got to the end, and I was like, um, she never learned her husband's name, because the Fae, like, guard their names, you know? And then he, like, signs the wedding contract, and she's like, I finally, like, saw his name signed, but I won't ever tell you what it is, you know? And I, I just, I really liked that. It made me smile. See, so. I thought that was, like, the ending was, like, really toxic. Why? She was like, alright, you know, this guy came and basically forced me to marry him because I bragged that I could turn silver into gold. And then basically fucked with my head in this magical kingdom for who knows how long. And then we kind of worked together because we needed to. And then we, like, weirdly, like, fell in love, and that felt like Stockholm Syndrome, and then he was like, ah, we can get married now for real, I won't be a dick anymore. See, I never really thought, like, she had been falling in love with him, almost like Irina, where, like, she was more in love with the kingdom than she was with the man initially, but then, like, like, at the end, like, I, I didn't think it was toxic, because he brought her back, and he was like, look, you can say no. Like, I'm, like, and I will, like, leave, you know? But I just want you to know, I actually really do want you to be my queen. Here, let me, tell me what I need to do. I will do it through your people's customs or whatever. And then, like, she could have been like, no, I'm staying here with my family. But she instead, she was like, here's what you have to do. And he was like, all right, I'll do them. And then he did. And then... But, like, everything else in the book is written so in-depthly mm -hmm. through exposition and that last hundred pages, they were just, like... I think there were so many characters they had to get into. Um, this is why I said to you outside of the podcast that the book... It could have been longer, I think. Yeah, I definitely think this could have been multiple books. Because, like a series. Because the, the ending is so rushed. And they were just like, oh, like we're going to do the Hades-Persephone thing. And she's going to go live in the Winter Kingdom for half a year. Uh, but we're not going to talk about what really happened there, and now she's not mad at him anymore. Okay. Um. And then with Irina, I'm going to call her Okay, um, you want to do Irina's story now? Well, I'm just or, comparing oh, it. Okay. Because, like, she was never, like you said, you wanted, like, a fiery, like, lover, or mm -hmm. hate enemies to lovers thing with... I don't know how to say his name. I don't know how to pronounce the czar's name, yeah. and I'm really I like uh, I don't know how I feel about it. Mir, Mirnadius, something Mir like that. Mirnadius, yeah, yeah. Um, I was just like, man, someone killed this fucking kid. <laughs> this kid sucks. <laughs> I get that he's got like a bad deal, like his mother like sold his soul before he was born, but he's just like is so mean to everyone. Like, servants, people, like, the demon is there too, but he's just, like, a total asshole. Okay, so let's talk about Irina's story, then, so mm -hmm. that we can talk about the czars a little bit. Um, so Irina, she was the daughter of this duke, and she 
kind of like her. It's known that she has this stark fae blood in her lineage because her mother, I think, was her mother a direct descendant of a stark? Like, raping her mother or something, I think? I think so, or if not, like, something very, very close. Something, it was like, she was very close in the bloodline, and so her mom had, like, almost, like, this stark-like charm to her that people found beautiful, and then in Irina, it didn't, like, really get passed down to her. She looked more like her father, who was, like, a typical, like beefy Russian soldier man, except for Irina didn't get any of the beefiness. She was, like, very whip-thin, I think they described her. Um, but she kind of lives a very demure lifestyle until uh, Miriam actually comes into her story when she's receiving the silver from the Stark to change to gold as part of the task. What she does is she makes jewelry with it and then sells it to the Duke, who, when the Duke sees it and he sees, like, this enchanted silver... He decides he's going to craft things for his daughter, which he will then use to try and trap the Tsar into marrying her by using this, like, magic silver. Um, So Irina gets a crown, a necklace, and a ring made of this stark silver, and when she wears it, people just find her, like, ethereally beautiful or something. Like, they just can't look away from the it's silver. weird because, like, they can't look away from the silver, but then they also seem to see her differently, but when directly confronted about it by people who don't think she's more beautiful with the silver on, they're like, I don't know, she's just pretty now, I guess. They, they, they can't, like, place what yeah. they find beautiful about her, and it's, I just took that, what I kind of felt like it was is, like, Irina has that stark bloodline, and having this stark silver on her kind of like awakens a little bit of that fey beauty inside of her yeah Yeah, and so it wasn't necessarily like just the silver but it was like also her power within that was kind of drawing people um but anyway basically it works because the czar uh when he like sees her and kind of feels like this cold stark power within her um, he is inhabited by a demon who we learn later is named Chernobog, which, which is like a Russian or Slavic deity in its own right. I was going to say, the name sounded really familiar to me. I think he's actually like an evil deity he's like in the Slavic consumer. culture, right? Yeah. Um, but he's like a flame demon. And so when the demon sees this cold, stark power, apparently he feeds off of that. So he's like... We gotta marry this Irina so I can feed off of her power, basically. Um, and so uh, another thing about Irina's story is when she wears this dark silver and it awakens her power, she can use through go through reflective surfaces. Well, it's only when she's wearing two of them, right? She has to wear two, two of, of them. Three. Yeah, at least two of the items to go through. Um... But she uses it because the first night on her wedding night, the demon comes to, like, consume her, and she, like, steps into the mirror into the Stark world, and then kind of learns about this demon, um, because she can watch them from the other side. Um, and that, honestly, that part of the book was when Irina got interesting to me, because before then, she just seemed like she was kind of going along with it. But then when she realized that there was a demon that wanted to consume her, and that's why the Tsar married her, she was like, oh, shit, I gotta do something about this, or I'm gonna de- I'm gonna be dead, you know? Yeah. Um, 
But anyway, so it goes kind of like back and forth for a while where she keeps like disappearing into the snow world at night so the demon can't get to her. And then one at one point in the snow world, she meets Miriam. And because Miriam has been captured by the Star King at this point, and they kind of make their little plan together to get rid of the Star King and the demon at the same time by feeding the Star King to the demon. Um... And so it's also interesting because I I did feel like with um Irina and Mir Mirnadius Mirnadius however you say his name Zar I like the idea of Mirnadius <laughs> like he's like the demon is a naughty part of his name I feel like they did um they did show a little bit in the story like how she kind of was falling in love with him at first just because he is just beautiful by. The fact that his mom made that gift with the de- the deal with the demon that her her like progeny would be beautiful forever. Yeah. Um. So he's just like beautiful, like green eyes. I think he has like tan skin and like dark, like luscious hair or whatever, and like very like uh fine like fingers or something. I don't know. She described him in detail. Um. And I think it did show that like Irina. Just, like, initially was kind of in lust with him, but then as she kind of learned how, like, terrible his outcome, like, how terrible his life was, where essentially, like, from the moment he was born, he was bound to this demon because of a deal his mom had made, and he just felt like he had no say in his whole life because he just, like, from childhood, this demon just was, like, controlling everything for him. And you also find out that the way that he became the czar is the demon killed his father and his older brother who he loved. Yeah. And like, I just like, he didn't feel like he had any choice of like women that he was with. Cause as soon as he slept with them, the demon would just, I mean, he didn't even get to sleep with them. The demon would just kill them. Like, so he didn't, he didn't even get to enjoy like that aspect of being the czar, I guess, where he like got to like sleep around, you know, all he really got was he got to wear really fine clothes. Um, and I think Irina just kind of saw him and saw how he, like, had never had a say in his life and kind of felt for him. And I think, like, halfway through her story, at first she was like, I just gotta get rid of both of these people. But then, like, halfway through she was like, I gotta figure out a way to save the Tsar from this, this demon. Um, and... I, I liked how the, the like she makes the deal with the demon to give him the Star King, and the demon's like, "I have to give you something in return," and she's like, "No, I won't take anything. Just you just can't hurt me or mine." Yeah, is how she always words it. And at the end, when the demon is basically thwarted by Miriam and the Star King in their kingdom, he like comes crawling back to Irina, and he's like desperate, and he's like, "I'm just gonna like feed off of you, Irina." And he goes to touch her and just, like, gets, like, shocked back or something. And she was like, you can't hurt me or mine. And then he, like, goes to touch a serving girl that, like, comes in the room just to, like, like, I don't know, fix their bed sheets or something. And when he touches the serving girl, he also gets burned away. And Irina's like, the fucking Zarina, bitch, all these people are mine. You can't touch anyone in this kingdom. And so the demon's like, alright, fine, I'll leave. And he, like, goes back into the czar's body and is like, alright, I'm leaving. And she was like, "Uh uh-uh. 
he's mine too. And she like takes the Stark ring off of her finger and like puts it on the Czar's finger. And I love the um, description of the ending of that story. Hold on. Let me find it. Um, so after she like kind of gets rid of the demon out of the Czar's body, it says the Czar was holding her hands against his chest the ring on his finger gleaming pale silver like the tears running in silver lines down his cheeks. He was gazing down at her with eyes shining jewel green as though she were the most beautiful thing in the world. And I thought that line was so good because up until that point, he just is like, the czar is just like baffled that people find his wife beautiful. They're like, why the heck do you think Irene is beautiful? I don't see why she's beautiful. And then, like, in that moment when she, like, saves him, essentially, he's like, wow, she is beautiful, you know? Like, not just, not just, he's not seeing her just for her looks anymore, but be- the fact that she is essentially a protector, like a guardian, and that's... But isn't that weird? Because he's just like, okay, you've made yourself useful to me, so now I'm going to see you in a different light. I don't know, isn't, I mean, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't think it was weird. I liked it. So yeah, I, don't know. I guess I think it's just a you like romance stuff more than I do. Maybe I don't know because I was thinking about that, and you love like the um, uh, Cassandra Clare books, which are essentially all romance, and I never really got into those as much. So I I don't know what it was about this book that you I like in those. They're essentially. Greek tragedy meets YA, mm. and they have very, very cruel endings a lot of the time, and they don't wrap up neatly a lot, and I felt like this book wrapped up very neatly, or at least tried to. Yeah. Um. So I was like, I didn't want any happy endings for them. You didn't want any happy endings I want them. Book? I wanted Wanda to be happy. <laughs> but you didn't want Irina or Miriam to be happy? I would have rather had, like... I thought about this when I was reading it. Irina and Miram and the Chornaberg and the Stark kind of end up in, like, some kind of weird eternal battle. Mm. Where, like, maybe, like, Chernoborg leaves the prince or the Tsar and ends up in uh, Irina and the Stark and the... Uh, Miram? Yeah, Miram are in, like, they're all in the, the Fey Kingdom or somewhere, and none, neither of them can really defeat each other, and they're just kind of permanently doing this battle forever that keeps the seasons in balance. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, yeah, I guess that could have been an interesting ending. But I, like, I, um, I guess I'm not in the same boat as you, because I liked Irina and Miriam, so I wanted them to have happy endings, too, you know? Yeah. Um, I liked Miriam more than I liked Irina. Mm. Um, I don't really know what I didn't like about Irina. I think part of what really, and this is something we can definitely talk about, is that the chapters are not always chapters, and they don't really even have names for the characters. Like, there's just like sometimes a, a wheel for a page break mm-hmm. in the chapter. And at first, when there was, like, three main characters, I was like, okay. Like, it it doesn't have to name each character. You kind of have to figure out who you are in that moment. But then, like, they started throwing in, like, random characters. Yeah, so the one, the, the one part that was, like, the huge, one of the huge climax parts, we have, we haven't even talked about Wanda yet, but we'll get to her after this. Mm -hmm. 
Um, well, the huge climax part where they're essentially trying to trap the Stark King at the, at that wedding, you know? Um, and they tell it from Stefan's point of view, which is the youngest of Wanda's brother. Yeah. And I was just like, I was a little disappointed with that chapter because I was like, I really wish this was from, like, Irina's point of view or, like, Miriam's point of view so we could get that complex, like, emotions going through their head because, like, what are they thinking right now? Is Irina, like, seeing the Tsar getting beat to a bloody pulp by this Fabian and being like, I made a mistake, I actually care about him, like, he's gonna be dead if I don't do something, or, like, from Miriam's point of view, like, would she, like, see the same thing when she, like, is watching the Stark King be, like, melted, essentially, by this flame demon, and she's like... I mean, like, this guy kind of captured me, but, like, is it wor- should he be tortured for, like, years and years to come by this demon because of that and, like, have his people suffer? You know, like, I wanted it to be told from one of their point of views or both of them, like, switching and back and forth they- so there could be a little more complexity to that moment. But instead it was through Stefan, and Stefan was just like, I don't understand what's happening. Here, this guy punches this guy. Uh, My sister's holding this chain. Like, he was, like, very confused by the whole And they did the same thing, like, they would switch to, I think they call her, like, Danushka. She's not, like, a grandma. She's, like, an older woman caretaker of Irina. Yeah. Magira or Magira? Magra. Magra. Is her shortened name, Um, Magra, yeah. And they, like will randomly, like, throw her opinion into the story, and you're just like, why are you here? Yeah, I just, <laughs> I didn't really care for those side characters as much. Like, I guess they were, like, adding depth by giving a view of the main characters that you wouldn't have gotten otherwise, you know? But I just felt like some of the parts where it was told from the side characters' point of view, I would rather have had even, like, Wanda in that fight scene. Like, I would rather have had her narrating that than Stefan. And like, I think it... This is, like, a byproduct of some of, like, the way she writes in this book, there's not a lot of verbal talking. Mm. It's a lot of introspection of characters. And sometimes the only way for you to know certain information about the world is for them to have, like, put us in her body and been, like, they were thinking this. But yeah. in, and like instead of like maybe having a conversation or something from Irina's point of view. So like I kinda understand why those scenes are there, but they feel very weird. Because they're kind of long. And they don't really do anything except like communicate one little point that you needed to know to continue the story. I really think too, like we were saying, like this book definitely could have been at least two books. Um, and I think it would have benefited from that. Like if it if it had ended like, I honestly think you could have lengthened out that whole part. Like, after Miriam frees the Stark King, you could have had a whole second book after that part That happens. could have been and a good then... ending point. Because, like, when I got to that point, and then I, there was, like, still 80 pages left, I was like, what can you possibly achieve in that amount in of time, time yeah. after, like, all the stuff you've done through this? And there were points earlier in the book where, like I said... She's doing this, like, really beautiful world-building voice, and then you get to, like, a little point, and they talk about it, and it seems important, but it's, like, there's so much other information that hasn't happened, it feels like they hit fast-forward, and then, like, you're, like, they're just, like, okay, she went to the Fae Kingdom now, and then, like, they go back into, like, a world-building voice in the Fae Kingdom. Right. And, like, you could have lengthened out all of those parts 
if there was another book. Mm. Or if, like, even, like, you know, the book was, instead of it being 400 pages, it was 800 pages or whatever. I like, mean, a true I fantasy definitely would have read, read, like, an 800-page book, but then we wouldn't have picked it for a book so yeah. long. Because it would have been just too long. Um... But anyway, before we get too on off on a tangent, uh, I just want to get to Wanda's story just so we can get through it. So, yeah, I have like weird feelings about Wanda, partially because when they wrote the, they created this fantasy kingdom and they used some real folklore beings in it, and I was like, okay. And then I don't know how to like even like broach the topic, but they were just like, all right, these people, like like the Jewish people are in this universe. And it just felt weird. Like, everything else was mostly made up, and then there was, like, a real people there. Hmm. And it just kind of felt strange to me. Okay. But then, I think the way she writes about, like, the wedding dance, and, like, the customs and stuff. That was really cool. I liked that scene a lot. Like, yeah, that was probably my favorite scene in the whole The wedding dance scene was really cool. Um, And then at one point, uh, Panov the father of Wanda, I think they're all in his home, and they are, he's, like, reading, I think it was the Book of Job to them, and it was, like, this, like, candlelit, like, meditation on Shabbat, I think it was, and it was just, like, a really beautifully written scene. So I found, like, like, actually, this might be part of the reason I felt jolted by the other parts of the book, is they spend a lot of time, well, Nova spends a lot of time writing about the customs and religious customs of the Jewish people in a really beautiful way. But then when we learn about the fantasy creatures' customs, like the Stark and Chernoborg, we really don't learn anything. Mm. They just kind of, like... Because, like, he... Like, the Stark King is being just a complete ass when she asks him questions. And I, I thought that... And I read that as intentional because, like, just a fake creature itself is hard to understand. So, like, it's not going to be easy. They're not going to, like, outright tell you their customs. Especially yeah. as, like, an, we're seeing it from, like, Miriam's perspective, not, like, from the Stark's And it was intentional. Yeah. But then I wanted... I still wanted to know more. Yeah. And, but we never get it. Yeah. All right. Anyway, though, Wanda. Yeah. <laughs> so Wanda... I, like, as you said earlier at the beginning of the podcast, she's the daughter of essentially a poor farmer who has lots of issues. Just anger management, um, drink alcoholism, he beats his kids and he beat his wife even while she was pregnant. And um, if essentially, it, the start of their story kind of starts with like the time their mom was pregnant and then she had like a miscarriage and it also killed her. So it left Wanda and her these two younger brothers of hers with their dad, who was abusive. And they have also had six dead siblings, I think? I think they have five dead siblings and then and, their mom. And the mom, yeah. Um, and so, like, her life is just not good. Let's just say that. And her father is in debt to Miriam's family, which is how they get entwined with the story, because when Miriam starts collecting all the debt, she comes to their house and is like, look, you owe me, like, all this money that he will never be able to pay back. Because he just has spent it all on drink. He does not make any money as a farmer except enough to, like, keep food sometimes on the table, but not always, because they're starving. Um, and Miriam sees Wanda and is like, okay, well, your daughter can come work for me, and I'll pay her... I'll 
like, each day she comes to work for me, you'll get this much off your debt, and then in, like, three years, like, you'll be debt-free. And, like, Wanda is elated at that. Because at this point, she's, like, 17 or 18, I think. And her dad is, like, thinking, like, oh, here's how I can make some quick money this time. I'll just sell my daughter off to marry some, some guy. I don't even care what he's like. And I'll just take her dowry and just, like, spend it all on myself, you know? And this this job that Miriam gives her to pay off her father's debt essentially means that she can't get married because she has to pay off this debt. And Wanda's like, hell yeah. And she also gets fed food while she's, like, working at their house. So she's like, I get a meal a day and I get, like, to not have to get married and I get to, like, not have to be around my father all the time. Like, this is the dream come true. And then she, like, gets her brother a job, too. And she gets her brother a job. It's almost it, like... It, it's like Parasite. It's like Parasite, but if, like, the family actually had yeah. good intentions. Yeah, and they were not, like... <laughs> the family did not try to trick them. Yeah. Like, she gets both of her brothers in good with the Mandelstadt family, with Miriam's family. Um, and also Miriam teaches her how to read, teaches her how to count, teaches her how to balance the books so that, uh, eventually Wanda can go out and collect the debts. And so, like, like, through, like, Miriam's family, which by the end of the book they are, more her family Mm -hmm. than Wanda's actual family had ever been. And, um, but long story short, Wanda doesn't go, doesn't really get involved with any of the magical stuff. And she thinks what Miriam does, just, like, counting and, and doing numbers, she calls that magic yeah. and calls that spells and, like, witchcraft. Which is, it kind of makes it funnier later when she does see some of the magic stuff, because she's like, what the? <laughs> she's like, okay, this is, I thought the counting was a lot. And then, like, but it is just kind of cool because she's like, Miriam taught me this magic so that now I can, like, make a better life for myself, you know? And, um, anyway... So eventually, Wanda and her brothers inadvertently end up killing their father. In an, it's an accident, but they do it while somebody else is there. He's like in a drunken rage. He's beating Wanda with a fire poker. I think he tries to beat her with a fire poker, and the brother won't let. The him. older brother steps in, and then the little brother I think grabs the poker too. Like, both of the brothers this stand is, up for Wanda. Yeah, he right? does. And this is where I was confused, because he grabs the poker, and then the father stumbles and trips over the younger brother. Oh, okay. But so I was the, like, okay, yeah. how, how did the younger brother... Well, he could have grabbed it from he, behind, I he guess. Ended, he could have grabbed it from behind, and he was... I think the younger brother was on the floor, because the father was and, beating him, too. Yeah. So he was, like, curled up in a ball. Because the father stumbles over the younger brother. Into falls, a pot of... Oatmeal, like he basically. like, like Kasha oatmeal but, pot and yeah. it pours on him and like and like burns him yeah. and he just like dies like yeah. in the fire like that Game the... of Thrones guy with the gold <laughs> yeah kind of like the game like Viserys from Game yeah. of Thrones kind of um and unfortunately somebody was there at the time uh, who was trying to take Wanda as his son's bride because he had figured out that Wanda was actually making money working with Miriam and he wanted that income for himself I think. Yeah. Um so sleaziness all around Wanda basically. She's just out here fighting for her life. I feel like we've been taking the most time on Wanda, but she uh, maybe she actually she's, has the most complex story. I like, she's interesting too because um, like earlier mm-hmm. when she's thinking about her brothers, she's like what do, what do I owe these two? Like, yeah, like, all they've been doing is surviving together up to that point, yeah. and then 
Um, so they accidentally kill their father. They send their youngest brother to live with Miriam's parents because they're like, they'll take care of you. The people in the village won't kill you because you're like nine years old or oh something. <laughs> so they're like, they won't blame you. But like her and her other brother, Sergi, have to like run from the law essentially because they, even though they didn't mean to kill their dad and their dad was probably going to beat them to death, um, they are still apparently responsible for his death. Um, and so they like run away and they end up at this cabin, which I thought was really cool. And I'm like, is this Baba Yaga's cabin or is this some other witch's cabin? And she like, this is like, a whole other thing where they could have extended this whole, like, you get like a little bit about this cabin. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is really cool. But there could have been like 200 more pages about this thing. So essentially there's this cabin that's like in the middle of the woods, like off the road. And, um... This cabin is on the border of the Fey world and the human world, but like it's the the rift has been mostly closed off, so only small things come through. But like they go to this cabin and they're like, "Wow, we're really hungry!" And then they notice like um, a little like container of like oats that they didn't notice before, and they're like, "Oh, we can make oatmeal with this, so we won't go hungry." Or they're like, "Oh, like we're really cold," and then they're like, "Oh, we found this pile of firewood outside that like is still dry, surprisingly, and we can use that to like light the fire, you know." And they are while they're living in this little cabin, it also crosses over with Irina's story mm-hmm. because she brings her handmaid to that cabin to keep her safe from the czar and the the fire demon, and so whatever the handmaid is making shows up on Wanda and Sergi's side, and then whatever Wanda and Sergi are making shows up on her side, and they just kind of have this cool crossover without knowing it. And I honestly also really liked the respectful way that Wanda and Sergi treated it. They were like, we're getting this stuff, but we gotta pay it back in kind, and then they're like, we're gonna reseal the windows, and yeah. we're gonna like, we're gonna like fix the chair, and we're gonna like take care of this house because it's taking care of us kind of thing. Yeah. And I, I really liked the way, I loved it, I was like, I wanna live in this cabin. There was a <laughs> book series, and I own all of them, and I honestly can't remember the title of it. They're back home in my parents' bedroom. Mm-hmm. But they whole book series reads like that scene. Mm. Um, and it's like a kind of irreverent fairy tale story where you're like, you know, like the princess is like supposed to be fed to the dragon and the dragon marries her instead of blah blah blah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I love those. And like I just you just like triggered like a deep seated memory of reading those and you would love them. I probably would. Yeah. Um but anyway, so Wanda and Sergi are in this cabin and uh, uh, by t- you know, to happenstance, the magic of the world of this book is, uh, eventually their younger brother and Miriam's parents actually find their way to the cabin as well. All I could think of was, <laughs> I was like, those four horses. Yeah, those horses, and then the scene where the parents are, like, kind of rushing to get to town because they just remember that Miriam. That's something else that was interesting, was somebody crosses to the Fey world, everyone kind of forgets about them. Yeah. Like, forget that they exist at all, so her parents they'll remember, so they, like, go to hurry to the city where they know Miriam went to last. Um, and they're just, like, running these horses ragged, and one of them ends up dying because he, like, just from exhaustion, exhaustion and being in the cold. Exhaustion and freezing to death. Um, but they all end up together again and then make it to, I think Visnia is the big city. Yeah. And or Visnia. Something like that. Yeah. Um, and they end up all together at 
they're one the one of the cousins' weddings, Miriam's cousin is getting married, and then that's where that's the big wedding scene where it all kind of culminates and comes together. And at this point, Wanda and her brothers, I, I kind of love their dynamic because they never really talk to each other, but they share these looks with each other that are like so descriptive. They're like, I was like thinking this and I like looked Sergi in the eye and he like nodded at me and I knew we were thinking the same thing yeah. or something. And it's just like they almost have this like telepathic bond with each other. Um, but they end up, Wanda ends up being the one that actually helps them finalize capturing the Stark King for Miriam and Irina's plan. She's the one that throws the chain around him, um, that really traps him. Um, okay, I'm trying to, th- <laughs> trying to think of where to go next. So, Wanda, the, Wanda's ending, we'll, we'll just go to Wanda's ending. The ending of, because we did the other two. Yeah. It, they want to go back to that cabin, which who wouldn't? That's like a, a sick, sick cabin. cabin, sick magic cabin. And they get pardoned by the czar for killing their father. And the czar basically says, yeah, you can basically settle down and claim as much land as you can possibly take care of as yours. And nobody will be able to arrest you for it. You can do whatever you want with it. He says, like, you have three years to do this. Yeah, you have yeah. three years to, like, claim land. And once you've claimed it, like, it's yours yeah. or whatever. And so Wanda and Sergi and Stefan are like, we want to go back to that cabin and we want to make this cabin the safest, most cozy, comfortable cabin that anybody has ever fucking been to. And if anyone is hungry, we'll feed them. If anyone is cold, we'll keep them in our, you know, kind of is the vibe that I get from her. Mm. And that's what they do. They go back to that cabin and they kind of like set up shop and they're on this cabin that's on the border of the Stark world and their world. And the... Miriam's parents go and live with them too so when Miriam comes back she can kind of visit at that cabin the magical cabin yeah. and I just I really liked I was really happy for Wanda and her brothers because they were going through it their whole lives and they finally like had happiness at mm. the end and it was it was very nice no romance uh for Wanda but I I prefer it that way <laughs> no, that's like, yeah, but that might be the reason I was the most interested in <laughs> there's no romance yeah no romance for Wanda, but I. She was just I in really, love with life. She 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 just was looking. She found happiness a different way with like her family. Um. So yeah, so that that is basically spinning silver. I know it's a lot because there's so many characters. There's a lot of lore. There's a lot of description in the book, so it's kind of hard to succinctly wrap it up, if you will. Um. But yeah, if you so let's see, did you did you have a favorite part? I think we kind of maybe the dancing. It was the dancing. If if it was the dancing at the wedding, and if not the dancing at the wedding, the scene like I said, where the father is, where Miram's father is reading from the uh, book of Job. I might it was I think it was the book of Job. Mm. But just like there was like a really quiet like reverent meditation that reminded me of like when you were awake at like 3 a.m on like you know in like january in like a really cold climate it's pitch black there's no sound except the wind and you can get into like a really deep like thought process mm-hmm. i felt like that scene like they really wrote that into existence yeah it's a it's hard for me to pick a favorite part but i really liked see i liked all like the fey elements and everything of this book I really like the part where Miriam makes the deal with the Stark King, and she's like, I want to go back to the human world 
what do I need to do to get you to take me back for, like, my cousin's wedding? And he's like, if you turn all three of my storerooms to silver in, like, the next three days, from silver to gold in the next three days, I will take you. And she just makes a deal without seeing the silver, which mm. I'm like, oh, come on. <laughs> like, yeah, everything else you've done has been I'm like, sold. don't do this. But I guess she's, like, tired at that point, yeah. and she just wants to get, like, there. So she just, like, makes a deal. And then she goes in the storerooms, are like, the first one's not too bad. The second one's pretty massive. And the third one is just, like, this huge chamber filled with silver. And I liked how she... Like she, she was like, I can't do all three of them. So instead, she enlists the help of her friends, I guess, or servants at, at the, the time, time. Like servants, and they become. That's when they like through the Fey Law become the bondsmen or something yeah. of her, and like they're bound to whatever. If she succeeds, and if she she fails, then they all fail too. And she's like, all right, here's what we're gonna do. He said I had to change all the silver in the storerooms. You guys are going to empty that final storeroom and take all the silver outside so that I only have to change these first two. And for some reason, I thought he was going to... The Stark King, I thought he was going to be mad when Mm -hmm. he showed up and saw that she had done that. But instead, he was, like, impressed. He was like, wow, you, like, found a way to do it, like, by moving the silver out. You're right. I asked you to change the silver in the storerooms, and now not all the silver is in the storeroom, so you succeeded. Yeah. And her doing that was an act of high magic. And like, up until then, when she asks him questions, she's trying to be clever about the questions and getting answers, and he's doing the same thing. He's, like, finding yeah. loopholes in her questions. So it seems like, up until that point, he's kind of like, look at this idiot who thinks she can outsmart me. And then she finally does it, and he's like, yeah, fair play. Alright, you know what? You outsmarted me, bitch! You got me! Yeah, yeah no. <laughs> like, I I really liked that part, because I do also think that is the turning point. Initially, for the Stark King, where he's like, oh, I should stop taking her for granted. And I should actually see, because she's actually very clever, like, almost as, as clever as one of the Stark ourselves, you know? And like, she outsmarted me, and now that because she did that, I am able to use even stronger magic because of the deal that we made, you mm-hmm. know? Um, so I, I really liked that part. And then, um, did you did you have a least favorite part? Um, yeah, I it probably was... It kind of bleeds together, but it's when Miram lets the Stark King go, and then Wanda... Uh, not Wanda. Uh, Irina. Irina takes Chernoborg to the Stark Kingdom. Mm-hmm. But, like... I, I really feel like they got lucky at the end there, because I was like, this could have gone bad in so many different ways because of the choices you guys made. Yeah. <laughs> they just... and, but, like, through us talking about this, it's not even that I think those scenes are bad, but, like we said, I think after the wedding and the first time they defeat Chernoborg... Maybe even a little after, like after they've chosen to, after Miram has chosen to set him, the Star King free, mm-hmm. that could have been the end of a book. Mm. And it would have been like, a, like oh, what's going to happen now? And you could really get into depth with the final yeah. battle and like everything happening. Yeah, it'd be like yeah. a big introduction to the next book. Yeah, I and, could see that. And it just felt very like, you know, they were like, we're going to wrap a bow on this part, and then we're going to wrap a bow on this part, because there was so little room left to do anything with. 
the beginning was so detailed yeah. too with everything, and I loved it. And but I do think this is also just a struggle of like I love standalone books, but it's so hard to make a story like this like a standalone, mm-hmm. you know? Like, but this one was, and so I I really I still really liked it, even though the ending did feel a little rushed too. But like I still thought it was really good. I. Really, like, I was happy that everyone got a happy ending. You know, like, yeah. I won't lie. I was I was happy that everyone got a happy ending. And even the czar who, like, I know you said he was, like, a, like a whiny baby. I really felt for him. Like, the scene where him and Irina, like, pretend to have sex for the servants that are there. And he, like, starts crying because, in my mind, it was him just being so relieved that he didn't have to sleep with this woman who he didn't even choose to marry and, like, didn't at that time think was attractive. And he was just like, I guess I just have to do this. You know, like, I did everything. And I, Irina was like, no, 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 we're going to fake it. You know? Yeah. And he was, like, relieved at that. Well, I think, like, because, like, once again, they just, like, randomly jump into his head sometimes. Yeah. Um, And if we had gotten more of that, and, like, you know, if the book had been longer or there was more room, you could really delve into that. But, like, when you do get into his head in the book, you're like, this guy, like, I get why he hates everyone. Like, he's had a really rough life. But his, like, internal monologue is so nasty to everyone. It's, uh, well, he just, like, hates the world. Yeah, and I'm like, Because of, like, his, what he has been, like, the hand he has been dealt, he just hates everybody. What I kind of think, the parts that I didn't like the most were, honestly, the parts where Magra... Magra, the handmaid, was narrating because I was just like, okay, I get it. You're like Irina's mother figure because her mom died early or whatever. And like, but I just don't find her an interesting character. So I didn't really it like care for it. It was like it, a shoo-in but... to be like, all right, this character is a little more complex if you add in what Ma- uh, Margura? Magra. Magra saw about them, you know, mm. like with the former like Duke and like former Czar. And yeah, stuff. yeah. But like she didn't really like that information. I don't think was like one hundred percent necessary, and mm-hmm. it didn't really add anything else either. Yeah, most of the time it was her talking about like sewing something. It reminded me of the and meme like, where like there'd be like back in two thousand one we had flip phones, and I'm like that's nice, Grandpa. Like, that's what her internal monologue was. You were like, that's nice, Babushka. <laughs> that's nice, that's nice, Babushka. Yeah, all right. <laughs> get back Baba, to the it's okay, yeah. <laughs> no, I I really think, like, again, I just want to say I did, I loved this book. But what I really would have wanted, I Miriam, Irina, Wanda, great. Keep them as narrators. I would have preferred a little more Sergi yeah. narration. Uh, and then I would have preferred more of the Tsar uh narration and honestly i would have preferred like the start to yeah. have at least a few chapters i know he's trying to remain mysterious because he's the the fake king and like you're not supposed to know a lot about his internal thought process but i would have loved to have at least a few chapters from his point of view you know yeah and i think it could have really added depth to his and miriam's relationship and that's, um that's why I have issues with this book is because there are, like, moments of absolute brilliance in this book. And then there are just, like, weird moments where you're like, what? Like, with the old, um, she's not really a babushka, but... The handmaid. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, like, I feel like the book is really good 
for a lot of it, and then there are just, like, random moments that are not... They're not even bad, because they're well-written, but they just don't really fit with the rest of the book. Mm. And so, like, you could really take this book from being, like, good to great to being, like, a masterpiece of storytelling if the they had done so, just things differently. Right. But it's also, like, a taste thing. Right. Um... So I don't. Do you have any um final um takeaway or quotes that you wanna uh, add from the book or? Not really like a takeaway. It's more just like a recommendation. Like I think people who are very interested in fairy tale retellings will love this book for sure. And I don't know of many other Slavic ones. Um, so I think that's another plus for it for people who are into that genre. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I would recommend it to people who want a fairy tale retelling, but not necessarily a world-building story in the style of, like, Rothbusser Tolkien. And uh, I, I, the reason I picked this, well, one is because it's, like, wintry-themed, and I wanted the November book to kind of be getting into that wintry mindset, but I also picked it because it was recommended by Pat Rothfuss, who is my favorite author. And I honestly think if you're a fan of Pat Rothfuss, Rothfuss's like prose, you'll like this book. Um, but just because by the fact of it being a standalone book that's only like 450 or whatever pages, it does kind of lack sometimes um, in those same aspects as other fantasy books would. But it is still very good, and I think if you enjoy that kind of fantasy aspect, you will really like this book. Um, for me, I give this book, like, 8 out of 10. I really liked it. I would honestly, I would reread it, just to see what I had, like, missed, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for me, it's, like, a 2.75 out of 5. Like, it's good, but could be better, <laughs> I think. Yeah, there, I mean, it definitely could be. But I, I still really enjoyed it a lot. And I, so. You know, just like to reflect on it, I think part of the reason I'm like so harsh a little bit on this book is because like, and not like, you know, I hate really saying like I don't like books because someone spent like a lot of time making a piece of art. Mm-hmm. But with the Southern Vampires Club, the book I don't think is particularly good, but it was like fun. And it doesn't try to be super complex. But with this, I can see the, like, brilliance there. Right. So, like, when it feels like parts of it didn't get, like, polished to completion, it bothers me more. Honestly, like, I really want to read now. She has, like, a whole series. I hear Uprooted is, like, incredibly good. I, I wanted, I think I'm going to read some of her other stuff. Like, I think this was a great introduction to her writing. It definitely made me, like, love uh, Naomi Novik as an author, and I want to read more of her stuff now. Um, So I, I will definitely be doing that. Um. But yeah, so I i mean, I think that's all, all we have on Spinning Silver. Yeah, I honestly, I feel like we could break this book down like section by section. I think we could spend a lot more time on this <laughs> book, but I'm trying to keep it, you know, we don't yeah. want, we're trying to keep it around our yeah. average hour long podcast time. So. And that's why part of, I feel like this is like a lot bouncier because we like have like talked about a section and then we're like, that reminds me of this part. There, there's so much 
There, there's so much in this book, it's really hard to succinctly describe it. So I think we just did touch on, like, a few of our favorite aspects of it and, like, things that we, like, you know, felt could have been a little better. And it was, that's all you could really do with a book that yeah. is this dense, mm-hmm. like. Um, but yeah, so next month, December, my birthday month, we are going to read The Fisherman by John Langan, I think that's how you say his name. Langan, yeah. Um, and this is classified as horror. Um, and I've heard like literally nothing but good things about it, and I know almost nothing about it. People have just keep telling me to read it, like at work when people ask me for books, and then they find out I like horror. They're like, "You gotta read The Fisherman." Yeah, I know nothing of this book, so I'm just gonna go in blind on this yeah. one. I feel like I think it's fairly um, short. It's a quick read. It's only like. 250 pages. Yeah, this is a long one. I think I'm going to think long and hard next time if I pick an over 400-page book for the book club. Yeah, I mean, 400 pages is long, but not... It's not... not If you you enjoy the book, it doesn't feel long. If it's something you struggle with, then you're like, yes, man. Um, But all we know about The Fisherman is that it takes place in upstate New York, which is also where we're from. Yeah, we are. Yeah. Um, technically Western New York. You're right, right. Um, and, uh... It's above New York City. Yeah. And it's about these two widowed men who are living in what seems to be, like, a park area. I don't know if it takes place in, like, modern times or if it's just, like, wilderness. Like a theme park? Oh, no, like no, a like, like a, a national park. park. Yeah. Like, okay. Um, and there is, like, a creek or a lake there, and they're, like, they have, like, bonded over the loss of their wives, and they discover that there is some kind of magical or monstrous thing there that maybe will let them, like, bring their wives back or something of mm, the sort. Interesting. But they have to pay some kind of truly horrible Obviously. Stephen King-esque price. Obviously, yeah. Um, All right, cool. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to read that. That sounds that sounds good. Yeah. Yeah, um, make a December horror read. Yeah, um... So when you're thinking of spending time with your family, we're gonna read about these men with these dead wives. Well, it like, keeps the <laughs> tradition of Christmas spooky, scary stories. Sure, sure. Um, that did used to be a tradition. Yeah, I don't remember that, but yeah. Um. All right. So yeah, follow us on Twitter at uh, Shared Pages. Yep. Or our personal Twitters, which you can find through there. Yep. And on Twitch at Madradian, we're playing lots of stuff with Witcher and all that. Um. And until next time. Until next time, happy reading. <laughs>